Hi, I'm Rebecca Enderby and welcome to the second of the Documentary Photography Review podcasts with co-presenter Chris King. The Documentary Photography Review website aims to provide a place for documentary photographers of all levels the means to showcase their work, sharing the photo stories and personal projects which they are working on, be they completed or in progress. In this series of podcasts, we focus on talking to photographers that are working on documentary projects in their backyard, that is the country in which they live or where they are from. Today we have the pleasure of talking with Lucy Piper, a recent graduate, focusing on her project on community urban farms in London. In our discussion, we reflect on the challenges of being a young emerging photographer, the importance and the challenge of building relationships and trust in documentary photography projects as well as discussing the urban farms themselves, reflecting on nature and farming in the city. As with all these podcasts, there are two different recordings available, the highlights of the interview and the full interview. Both are available via iTunes or the website at www.documentaryphotoreview.com, where you can also access show notes and all links and find Lucy's work. This was our first attempt at using Skype for the podcasts, and whilst the audio is good for the most part, there are some instances of minor distortion or dropping out, so do bear with us. Also, unfortunately, there were some technical issues in the first few minutes of the recording, which was only noticed on playback. As we've been unable to rearrange a recording with Lucy, I will begin by answering the first question, which was Lucy's explanation of her evolution as a photographer. We will then go straight into the podcast, which I hope you'll enjoy. Lucy always knew she wanted to do something creative, but didn't know what. When she was 15, the option of studying photography at college came up, and after her dad showed her some of his books of photographers, such as Martin Parr and Annie Leibovitz, she knew that's what she wanted to do. She was hooked straight away. Just before starting her photography course at college, she took a trip to Paris, in which she found herself doing a lot of street photography, which affirmed her choice. During her second year at college, Lucy visited New Orleans in America, several years after Hurricane Katrina. Again, she found herself drawn to taking pictures, though of a very different nature to her Parisian ones. Her teacher was really impressed and suggested that she study photography at university and suggested Falmouth as the place to go. Lucy applied, got in, and so her story begins from there. So yeah, my, I was just fixated on getting into Falmouth, did my research on the place, and because obviously I didn't, I'm not a fan of London, so the idea of going to London was out, which is obviously one of the best unis for photography, mm-hmm. LCC. And then the only other place was Newport, which yeah. does documentary photography, which I know is a great course, but I didn't actually want to be situated there. So Falmouth, having been to Cornwall all my life, sort of stood out and I made it my mission to get onto this course which was press and editorial photography and yeah pretty much I can't remember when I actually got accepted but as soon as I knew I'd got in I just I took a year out and made it my mission to photograph everything throughout that year <laughs> right. everything that I came across when I was doing many trips across Europe and things like that went to work on a farm in Norway Everything was just, I suppose traveling was my, the thing that got me excited about mm. photography. Yeah. And, and why, why documentary photography in particular? Why did you decide to pursue that particular genre? I connect with seeing people and places because that's obviously 
what we as humans come into contact with every day. Mm-hmm. We don't come into contact with pictures of, I don't know, blown up apples on a mirror or whatever. You want to, yeah, as an example. Yep. Um, yeah, I just, my dad's a writer, so I come from a sort of journalist background anyway. Okay. Yeah. But it's my way of tapping into that and trying to understand what's going on in the world, really. <laughs> yeah. I suppose as I was growing up, my brain's maturing more I saw photography as a way to express or find discover stories that I was trying to understand myself as well yeah yeah and did well, you enjoy that. Falmouth I did my master's in Falmouth actually but in something really different but it's a beautiful place it's probably very inspiring as a photographer yeah definitely for me I need to be able to see horizons I know that sounds a bit um no no I can imagine yeah. almost but I need <laughs> to be able to like see beyond me so obviously being by the sea yeah allows your mind to wander and just think about stuff whereas if you're in a claustrophobic space I find I just have absolutely no inspiration and get a bit depressed to be honest so yeah I need to be in open spaces definitely and how did the course kind of shape your practice further or what what do you think you gained the most from it or 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 any drawbacks um, or anything? So when I actually arrived on the course, I'd mainly just done sort of travel street photography. Yeah. Um, occasionally the odd portrait, because my dad writes for some music magazines, so I'd done commercial stuff, but I'd never actually done any really real documentary or stories or anything like that. And I was, I mean, I was quite a shy person, but I'm now quite... Well, I'm more confident than I used to be, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they started telling us that we were having to go out and meet new people, find our own stories, that was a real struggle for me because I find it hard to pick up the phone and ask someone if I can photograph them. Mm. I'd much rather meet them in person, let them get to know me, see if we click before I ask if I can photograph them. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah... That was really hard because they would set up specific briefs, um, like the person at work or portraits, or they'd set projects with funny titles like um, Touch, which sounds a bit lame. So I went to photograph Potter. Um, oh, yeah. 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 It was actually Japanese in Morton Hampstead, which is a tiny little Devon village. So mm-hmm. that turned out to be quite interesting. For example, um, anyway, it diverged from doing set briefs to they would gradually wean us off that like they they pushed us to find our own stuff without any help like they Mm. to begin with yeah we'd have like set titles for a project and we'd work on something to do with that and then the end of our first year we had to just find come up with something it could be anything so that's when I did my first sort of documentary piece, which was I went down a mine in Redreath, which is right. I think the last working tin mine in the UK. Mm. And Redreath is a really poor area of Cornwall, mm. um, and that was a real eye opener because I just never seen anyone having to work in those sorts of conditions before. Yeah, I'm sure. And I couldn't believe it was happening in Cornwall, really. So that was. That was almost too big a topic to handle straight away. Hmm. So I sort of just snapped what I could and 
yeah, I tried to do it to my best ability, but I wish I could do it again right now. From the mining story, that's when I, like, I thought, actually, yeah, I can do this sort of thing. Yeah. I can find new stories, do it by myself, not need the support of my teachers for everything. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and then it went from there, really. That's when I just had the confidence to do my own thing without needing to be pushed, really. Yeah. And so that is that's how uh, Urban Utopia came about? Yeah, that came about in my second year. We had to do work experience. And I went to do a six-week um, placement at a photo agency called Rex Features. Okay. It were more celebrity fashion-based. And it was during my time there, we obviously still had to do our university work. And so I knew I had to do a project in London. Right. I had absolutely no idea what the hell I was going to do at the time. Um, and it was only one day in the office. The work was quite repetitive, so my mind could wander a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had this thought come into my head, I wonder if there's any farms in London, because I kept thinking, what's different about, because I was homesick, I kept thinking, what's different about London and, and home? Like, how, what divides places, really? And then, obviously, it's the landscape, so... And the peace and quiet and space that I have at home. And then I had claustrophobia, stress, everything else in London. Mm-hmm. So I was just kept thinking, what's the contrast here? And how can I sort of find a story? So I, I thought of farms. And then I literally just put it into Google, like farms in London. And all these places came up, which was, I knew that was it really. Like I had to go and find them. Right. Another, I don't know if I'd seen the exhibition just before this idea came into my head or whether I went to the exhibition afterwards, but I went to see American Power by Mitch Epstein. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, at the Tate Gallery. And there's one picture in particular of a group of elephants um, and there's skyscrapers in the background. It's taken in Berlin. And I think that probably inspired me as well to do the project because... Obviously, they look so out of place in their environment. And it's also talking a lot about how we affect our landscapes and we have the choice, really, whether we want to build on them or whether we want to keep them open. And those animals definitely shouldn't have been there. So there's this massive contrast of, like, things that just shouldn't have been together. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that's how the idea came about. So that's how, you went with that image and took that into your photography, into the urban utopia. Yeah, because I just wanted to try and show places that were so sort of polar opposite from yeah. each other, having countryside versus all these massive skyscrapers in the background. Yeah, yeah. Some of your images definitely show that contrast. It's really they're really effective in that way. Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, and then so to begin with, that's what I was focusing on, more the landscape, contrast within landscapes. Um, but then, obviously, the longer I spent at the farms, the more it became about the actual communities themselves and mm-hmm. these people that have chosen to pursue that way of life mm. in the city. So can you tell our um, listeners a little bit more about about the farms and the history of them? And the... Yeah, the first one started in 1972, it was Kentish Town City Farm. Right. Um, and it came about, it was actually some squatters that were living on the land who'd chosen to 
um, carry out a more EK way of life, as it were, in that space. And they had some animals and there's also a free school movement going on, so it's also a place of education. Right. Um, and then these things just started, but obviously the idea caught on across the city and they just started popping up elsewhere. I think the next one was, well, the first original was in Bristol. First in London was this Kentish town. And then the next one was Freightliners, which is in Islington, which was based right next to the train station because the land was derelict. And so people took that chance to change it into what they wanted. Right. So So urban regeneration then? Sorry? So urban regeneration yeah 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 so it's that sort of thing I mean I don't have the facts in front of me for dates and when it all happened but it was around that time um and then it was only I mean to begin with it was more places where people were squatting and had their own animals and so it wasn't ever it wasn't ever council driven it was about local people sort of taking over the land yeah it started with local people and then the more they got recognised, um, the more sort of available to the public they became and then the councils got involved. Right. And then they became places which were, you know, open to the public, not just people in their own little groups. Yeah, doing yeah. And how did you go about uh, selecting the farms that you included in your project? Yeah, well, to begin with, I went to all of them. Right. There was 11 okay. in London, mm-hmm. in yeah. central London. Um, so within the M25 and so that yeah I went to all 11 and then I decided to choose eight of them which were more had a more obvious urban contrast whereas mm-hmm. some of them looked like they could have been anywhere which maybe it sounds a bit harsh that I decided not to go to three of them straight away after mm-hmm. I visited once but I just knew that it wasn't going to work visually so then I selected it down to eight and then I photographed each of those. And then, because the first time was sort of experimental, so there's more, yeah, more, what was the word, scope for doing a bit more what I wanted rather than having a defined project straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually went to a few other things. That's like a farm shop in Dalston. I went to a couple of people that were running little farms in their back gardens as well. Mm-hmm. So it was quite experimental to begin with. And then I decided, well, my, with my teacher's input as well, to focus the project a lot more mm-hmm. on just a couple. It wasn't actually my idea. It was one of my teachers that just pushed me to, yeah, just focus the project a lot more because I was getting a bit lost with... I was trying to take on too much at once, really. Right, yeah pick a handful of the most the ones where there's the most interesting characters and where I felt most welcome because some of them couldn't really give the time of day to the fact that there was a photographer around because fair enough they're busy doing their own things anyway yeah yeah, it was the ones where people actually took an interest that I kept going back to did you you offer them an incentive to have you around such as you know, supplying them with images? I 
offered them all the fate A's that I took, as long as they credited me, of course, yep. mm. which I thought was quite a big incentive, really, because a lot of them have got rather poor pictures on their website, and I just yep. thought it would help them yep. advertise the great work that they do. But yep. some of them still weren't bothered about that, so right. <laughs> that's, that was their choice. Yeah. So how did you kind of go about establishing... The relationships with the people you did kind of f- form a good relationship with was that you know a process of going back several times or talking to them yeah, a yeah. lot or... i went back to the three that i chose to focus on yeah. about five or six times right, each, yeah. each farm to begin with i didn't really take many pictures i would sit around chatting mm. drinking tea and stuff and obviously the more people got used to me the more they would take an interest in me and ask if i'd had a good week that sort of thing and I would spend the time, I'd put my camera away, just talk to people, you know, on a one-to-one so they could get to know me as, as a person, not just a photographer. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how I just worked on the people that, you know, when someone is sort of taking an interest or is taking a liking to you yeah. as a person, you sort of bounce off that and go back to them. I don't know, I think you instantly connect with people. Then. Do you feel that uh, that's kind of provided you that experience has given you more confidence to initiate new projects and continue with that public facing and and, uh, relationship building aspect of documentary photography definitely because um i mean i turned up i was staying with a friend in london but i was going to these farms originally just without them even knowing that i was turning up so Mm -hmm. i was walking around by myself with a very expensive camera in my bag around London, which is a place that I didn't really know that well. So I was pretty much sort of wandering stranger, to be honest. And (laughs) there was no one that was going to help me out if I came in trouble. And I think it's just as dangerous as anywhere else that you might end up. So it's definitely given me the confidence to go to new places. That story is there too, because, I mean, it's exactly the same. If you don't know anyone in the place, you can probably transfer that to any location in the world. Yeah, you mentioned that you you kind of struggle with gaining access uh, to places, you know, uh, phoning people up and trying to do it cold call and things like that, that you'd much rather initiate yeah. things face to face. But um, how did you, how did you initiate things with the, the farms? Did you just, you just rocked up unannounced and, and tried to initiate things there and then? Or was there some preparation? Um, I mean, I did email all of the farms to outline my idea of, to tell them that I was a student wanting to do this project and yeah. the reasons why I wanted to do the project, okay. um, which some of them re- replied back to, others ignored. <laughs> um, so the ones that replied obviously knew that I was coming yeah. and were very welcoming when I did go. Okay. Others, I think... I don't know, they just didn't, they weren't interested, which is why I put them off my list, really. So, no, I did warn, I sent emails. I mean, I think occasionally, after I sent an email, if I really wanted to go to one of the places, I rang as well to say, did you get my email? Okay. Then at least it's a point of conversation if you can say that you've already sent something over. Yeah. Rather than just, yeah, cold calling. But often there is sort of, noises of loud animals in the background so it's actually, 
it's really hard to talk on the phone anyway yeah because that's just too much noise going on yeah <laughs> and do you think that being a student at the time sort of helped you gain access because you could use that and this is rather than sort of now um yeah i think so um i think you can do a lot more when you're a mm. student because people aren't threatened by you. And it also gives you um, some authenticity, so, doesn't it? Yeah, it gives you a reason for being yeah. there, I think. Because they know that you've been sent for a reason. Or, I don't know, they're just not as threatened because you're just this little student who's still learning. And I also think it helps being a girl, definitely. Oh, interesting. Why, why is that? I just think that people are much more open I mean with other women um, I think they observe that you're more you're ready to listen to them and not just there for the arrogant sort of I mean some guys that photograph I'm probably going to dig myself pit now (laughs) (laughs) do go in like stomping in like this is what I want this is what I'm going to get like they don't just sit down and like take things slowly and listen. Has that been from some personal experience? Uh, Yeah, I know of quite a few guys that are like that. Right, yeah. (laughs) Who are also photographers. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I won't name anyone, obviously. No. (laughs) But I just, it's just an approach thing. I mean, it's probably, I think people are more accepting of the fact you're a girl, though, because you just don't look threatening, to be honest. Especially if you've, like myself, have got, long blonde hair, I'm very smiley. I don't think that's very threatening, even if I've got a decent camera on me. It's just the way it is. It's just, people and aren't really scared of girls, are they? I don't know. Whereas if you're there. <laughs> you're I know some very scary girl. women. <laughs> you know what I mean though, like yeah. if you're a big, tall, muscly guy with like loads of equipment, people are gonna, there's instantly a barrier there. And, uh, I think it's more about an approach. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think so. It's about building relationships and and trying to ensure that people, uh, that you form trust, a, a bond with the people that you're going to be documenting. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think you can achieve that regardless of gender, regardless of age, regardless of whether you're a student or not. It may be more difficult under different circumstances than others. But, but yeah, ultimately, it's, it's the same goal is gaining the person's trust yeah. and yeah. people's trust yeah, that's true. and uh you know i think if if you come across as a an amiable person who who has a legitimate desire to tell a story and and you know pose no threat to them both you as an individual or your work then yeah hopefully the barriers that may exist will will drop mm. yeah mm. that's true yeah i think there's stories that women would probably be granted access to and men wouldn't. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, that's very true. Women couldn't do that men can, so... Mm. You know, especially Um, cultural cultural and religious-related Yeah, maybe not in the UK. Mm. I'm talking about, yeah, more international sort of thing. Well, even even within the UK, if you're exploring, um, you know... Some sensitive topics, yeah, Yeah, definitely. That that have some sort of um, gender-related element to it um yeah yeah but yeah, I mean, uh, my friend of mine for her final piece did a story on fgm right and that's the kind of story that only a woman i think would be accepted to do really mm. Mm. 
Yeah. I mean, from the from her subjects, not from like an employer or anything. No, yeah, yeah. 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 And in terms of, um, you said that initially you had this concept of what you wanted to achieve with Urban Utopia, and you selected farms accordingly, and and all these experiences also influenced which farms that you um, you went to and explored. Yeah. Um, but then you said the visual aspect of it started to kick in, and you actually struck some off your list because they didn't uh, offer you the same scope visually as others. Yeah. Um, did that visual aspect start taking precedence over the, the story itself, do you think? I wouldn't say so because actually the ones that weren't as visually intriguing also turned out coincidentally to be the ones that there was just no one there that really gave a damn. So right. I think that was actually a coincidence because if I'd received a warm welcome and there was some interesting characters, Mm-hmm. then I would have gone back to them. Right. Yeah. Okay. I think yeah. it was more to do with, it was actually a coincidence that the people there weren't great either. So. Right. During the, the period when you were chatting to folk and um, immersing yourself in everyday life on, on these farms, did yeah. you ever use audio to record? Did you ever have any sort of um, official interviews or did you uh, record the ambient noises at all? And <laughs> yeah, did you explore I did, video? I did, um, I thought about making a multimedia, yep. but by the time that that thought came to me, I didn't have enough time to make what I, th- I wanted to do a really decent one if I was going to do it. Right, and yeah. unfortunately, I didn't have enough time mm. to do that. Although I still could do it now because obviously I have a lot more freedom now that I'm not at university anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I did do, I carried out some specific interviews with farm managers with all the questions that I had to ask. Mm-hmm. A lot of time when I was talking to just everyday folk that were working there, um, I just sort of made scribbles in my notebook because they weren't comfortable with me recording it on a microphone. Right, yeah. Because I thought, yeah, they thought it was quite scary, almost, I guess, because then they mm. can be quoted for every single word mm. they're saying. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, quite a lot of the people at the farms had low self-esteem like the volunteers working there so they were quite sensitive to approach anyway mm-hmm. but no i have thought about multimedia it could be very effective obviously combining the sounds of the farm with yeah. airplane yeah. sounds and police sirens and yeah, yeah definitely and then interviews of people yeah. um it's just more having the time and money to go and do it really <laughs> do you think it's a project that you would like to pursue further or do you think it's it's come to an end yeah definitely I mean I would be sad if that was it because I don't feel like I've even really made attempts to get it out there yet right. I feel like hopefully it's an interesting story which people general public and um, possibly publications would be interested in I just I literally have only just really landed settled after university so I'm trying to build myself up again to yeah. Yeah. get out there a bit more now um, no it's not over I'm trying to think of some exhibitions that I can do I mean places where I can exhibit mm-hmm. I'm actually exhibiting it at a farming conference in Oxford All right. nice ah, one. Yeah. in January which is going to probably be quite a lot of posh <laughs> farmers who have got no idea about these city farms Yeah. so that should be quite an interesting audience for the work yeah <laughs> most definitely approaching Exeter Museum um, 
his patron is Michael Morpage, who's a writer. Okay. You've probably heard of because he runs farms for city children in the countryside near right. me, actually. So I've thought about probably shouldn't be giving this away, but doing a sort of parallel project for kids from the city in the countryside, and then having the work side by side with Urban Utopia. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. That's an idea at the moment. That'd be yeah. interesting contrast. And because I wrote to him, and then he sent me a postcard back, which is nice, telling me the person to get in contact with. Obviously, he's a busy man, so I don't think he could give too much time to me. But mm-hmm. yeah, the fact I had a, a handwritten reply was pretty nice of him. Yeah, that's yeah. encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I need to get on the case with that. Just going back to um, some of your images of the of the farms, um, I'm quite sort of just wondering about some of the choices of them where they have no people in or very few people in. Yeah, I try to give quite a mixed um, edit for the project. I have hundreds more pictures which are not up there, which maybe I should review the edit, I'm not sure. That was the edit that I gave in for my final major project. Yeah, I wanted to give the idea that you know, it's a place that you can escape to and to visually, what's the word, kind of get across to people that these are places of solitude and if you want to be on your own and just go and sit in the corner with some trees, then that's what you can do. Right, okay. Because you also mentioned it's a good place for social interaction. So I was kind of interested in that. Yeah, I mean... It's quite a few images having very few people in. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because people that go there are there because they want to escape the city and in their work that's what they're doing but in their sort of break times things like that they're all sitting around chatting having tea and their lunch together and that those are the times of social interaction really whereas when they're working they're often in a little area by themselves Right, okay, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think some of the images which don't have people in but have the sort of city in the background I found interesting in a different way. They were, yeah, they felt quite lonely in a way. But And then with the city kind of still, you know, sort of a dominant feature even even within these little green spaces. I found them interesting, yeah. But perhaps yeah. not what you were thinking of for the project as it was, but I uh, thought the images were really nice. Yeah, I don't know if they were meant to feel lonely I think (laughs) that might just be me (laughs) I was trying to emphasize that ultimately the city has the power yeah yeah over these places I think that works in some of the ones where the city is in the background but still you know and especially with the iconic buildings it's still a kind of looming force yeah yeah I think also because of the time that I shot the project it was the weather was quite gloomy so some of them feel quite atmospheric yeah sort of grey, there's atmosphere there and tension, I think. Yeah, that's an interesting point about the weather. Like, do you think perhaps you could have got a diff- quite a different set of images in the summer? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think they would have been sort of a lot more colourful, lively if I'd done it in the summer. Perhaps you could do a year in the, the, year in the city farm. Yeah, I know. <laughs> It'd just be great if someone could help me fun to do this yeah yeah i know we'll give you all these ideas <laughs> no i know yeah a project in london yeah i mean the other well the main issue is having either someone that's willing to put you up for that long or yeah just being able to afford to do it really yeah no of course money yeah. is a real pain 
It is. It's just it's such. I think it's an interesting project that's got a lot of a uh, lot that can happen with it, isn't it? So it's good. Yeah. No, there's definitely a lot you could do with it. I'm just. Yeah, with time, things are gonna happen. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> because obviously, obviously, funding is a barrier to exploring various things. You know, beyond yeah. what's on your doorstep. Did your course prepare you for that? Did it Did it help you, or did it inform you as to the means in which you can access funding and, and gain commissions? Um. Yeah. I mean, our course is quite business orientated. Right. But at the okay. same time, even no matter how much advice they can give you it's still there's a massive barrier between you as a sort of unknown photographer approaching mm-hmm. like the editor of the guardian weekend magazine or something like that yeah, there's cool. always going to be that massive hierarchy yeah. and i think it's still scary no matter how much experience you have unless you've actually had contact with that person that you're dealing with or met them in person or something yeah i think there's always going to be big barriers but I guess you just have to be brave and still approach these people anyway. Yeah. I mean, on a day-to-day basis, it is, well, obviously I'm very new out of university, but I know it's going to be, I know it's impossible to, at the moment, for me to make all my money just through photography. But what I'm just going to try and do is build myself up locally to begin with, and then regionally, and hopefully nationally, we'll see. (laughs) um but yeah back to funding I mean occasionally if there's like on ideas tap they have some really good competitions yeah they do yeah if there's something that is relevant to me which I can apply for with my work then I will do it like recently I applied for the ideas innovators fund which is 500 pounds which I'm still waiting to hear back from which Mm -hmm. I may get and if I do get that then that will facilitate me with the exhibition that I'm doing in January and yep. hopefully to making a little photo book as well. Yeah. Which I have the idea to sell at the farms themselves just cheaply mm-hmm. and on my website. So wow. nice one. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. For some more information really. Like I would do a lot of writing as well in the book. In terms of promoting yourself, how are you finding that and, and what kind of tools, what kind of platforms are you using to promote yourself? Um, well, obviously, locally, word of mouth, and I'm putting up little cards and things, even though it sounds quite small steps, I think it's going to quickly, I mean, there's not many photographers doing what I'm doing in my area, because, right. I mean, it's not, it's quite a big city, but it's not a major city, it's not mm. like trying to compete in, in London. So yeah, and I'm still, I mean, I haven't actually approached like magazines and newspapers and stuff yet but I'm planning to do that ASAP just to let them know that I'm here and available to freelance whenever so yeah I'm just going to work locally to begin with and then see how that goes so yeah website put up cards contact people email people and I might even phone people it's a (laughs) full-time job just trying to promote yourself isn't it I know yeah maintaining maintaining a blog and a website and everything it takes a long time yeah, I don't know if people realise that, no. that aren't in, in the industry. It's annoying because the stuff that takes you a long time is obviously you're not getting paid for that. Mm. <laughs> Just stuff that you have to find time outside of work to do. <laughs> and so in, in terms of the photographic work that you'd like to do locally, is that going to be commercial work or is that going to be...? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd be happy 
doing most things locally because I mean obviously it wouldn't be the fine art route <laughs> it, yeah just portraits news events yeah. because I think that all of that is gonna shape me into being a better photographer I yeah, wouldn't definitely. turn down any job because I think even if it could be a challenge or it might be something I don't want to do at the end of the day it's gonna bring in money which is gonna pay for me to do projects that I actually want to do yeah so, definitely yeah. I think that's yeah, it, I, I'm not like I'm not stubborn I, I I'm open to anything really um, and I think that's the that's the path that photographers now have to take isn't it sort of doing you know taking on lots of different jobs and making money in lots of different ways and pursuing the kind of photography they really want to do on the side to begin with yeah definitely it's I mean a hard I climate oh like if you want to create your own music I don't think people are gonna pay for that whereas if you're in a covers band or something doing something people know already and you get paid for that stuff even if you don't want to do it certainly at the beginning Ho- hopefully not all the way through <laughs> to begin with I think you have to sell your soul a bit to the devil but <laughs> yeah. as long as you still remain the same person like even if you're just photographing something you have absolutely no interest in like you can section yourself off from that and just sort of become neutral and just see it as work like you don't have to get personally involved in it I don't think no, so long as you don't lose sight of why you picked up the camera and yeah. what you want to achieve yeah, exactly. and, and you don't stop telling as long stories as you don't become arrogant and that's my main hate <laughs> and with uh, with regards to your time at Falmouth obviously you would have done the course with uh, numerous other people do you maintain contact with them and is there any kind of thought of collaboration to help one another support one another after um, having been together obviously um, I mean I made some really great friends so I'll be in contact with them forever and <laughs> um, and no, yeah, my one of my best friends and I, uh, hopefully, are looking to set up a photo agency. Okay. Um, which I don't want to like spill too much, but we're both pretty excited about it. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be to do with our work; it would be to help who are also graduating. So, yeah, it wouldn't be promoting our own photography. It's looking to help people who have just come out of the same situation that yeah. we have, mm-hmm. but not. Yeah, not until next year because then we would have been one year out of university. So, right. yeah. but yeah, it's looking to help other graduates really. And would that be like any any genre, or specifically those who are following documentary and photojournalism? Yeah, I think we're going to keep it more documentary, um, but also at the same time we don't want hardcore photojournalism, similar to what you like really. Right. Okay, more interesting stories. Don't worry, we're not going to compete with you. No worries, no worries. No, No, we just want to, yeah, kind of be a helping hand to people that are graduating. Because there's not really much out there. There's not, Mm. like, sort of a company or agency who are bridging that gap between being a graduate and professional. No, yeah. So that is something. And then I've got another friend who... I've been invited to do that project by Stuart Pilkington, which is the swap, where right. you photograph each other. So okay. that should be quite fun. I'm yep. teaming up with another fellow Falmouth graduate to do that. Uh-huh. Uh, and then obviously I'm always being inspired by my fellow course mates who have left, who are 
starting to do new projects yep. Yep. i'm always in contact with them yeah good um i'm like we all follow each other and on tumblr and you know always seeing what each other's posting yeah and giving feedback whether we like it or not <laughs> yeah but yeah so that's at the moment we're all very much still in contact so you mentioned uh hardcore journalism what what would you define as hardcore journalism? Uh, photojournalism, sorry. Um, war, famine, the big topics, really. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. Right. Which is obviously, you can't turn a blind eye to it. But yeah. at the same time, I think it often takes precedent over smaller stories, which are deemed not important enough. Yeah. Like within the news industry. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose, and that tends to be more kind of local stories in that then, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly what you're trying to give exposure to, really. Yeah. Are there other platforms that you're exploring? You're, so you're using Tumblr and yeah. you're using Twitter. Do you find them helpful? Do you, are they helping you to raise your profile and, and make people aware um, of your work? Twitter definitely gives me, like, there's so much stuff which I wouldn't normally come across otherwise that like people yeah. posting links to work and reviews and all that sort of stuff there's so much I feel like it's my little sort of membership in the Theta community because like there's so many great people posting things that I wouldn't ever come across yeah. um so as a for, as a tool of information I think it's amazing and then I also think it allows you to contact people or stumble across people that you wouldn't Otherwise, like, you wouldn't know that they were the editor for this particular magazine. So you've then got their whole name and you can contact them directly yeah. as opposed to trying to scroll across the internet, trying to find, like, a personal email address for them. Not that I would contact them on Twitter, but at least then you've got their name if you want to email. Yeah. yeah. But, no, I think it's great. Like, I often have just random people that I have no idea who they are just compliment me on my work which is pretty nice yeah Yeah. Uh, so I think I mean I don't really work that hard to sort of what's the word publicize myself on Twitter as such it's just there's in case someone stumbles across me and likes what I do it's just a sort of luck thing if anyone likes it and stumbles across me but I mainly use it just to see what everyone else is up to Hmm. and then Tumblr well, because it's linked to my website, it means that anyone that comes across my website can see what I've been doing recently mm-hmm. if, they look, if they look on my blog. Um, and then other than that, I don't really use many other platforms. My Facebook is just a private thing, yeah. which I want my friends with, not really professional people. But no, I normally contact people, you know, by email if I have a professional query. Yeah. Yeah. I don't use social media. And do you think do you think your course prepared you for like the post university transition? Because you know you say that you're you want to start up this picture agency for people coming out of uni. So you obviously recognise that it's a very challenging situation to be in, and there's not enough support. Uh, do you think your course prepared you for that, or do you think because you were exposed to all these really established people that it gave you this kind of false sense of uh, security as it were that things would be okay after the after the course ended um I think I mean they made attempts to try and prepare us by mm. bringing people down to talk to us about the next steps and all that sort of stuff right, but yep. 
the, the main factor is when as soon as you're out of university that's it it's like yeah bam, you're gone you're not really anything to them anymore yeah. it would be great if there was more of a transition stage to sort of send us on our way doing something even if it's just I don't know like mentoring us for a couple months afterwards mm. or I mean I know that if I went to email any of my teachers if I had a query or needed some advice they'd be there no doubt but uh, yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's just the reality that yeah. as soon as you leave, you you need to defend yourself, really. Yeah. Defend yourself yeah. is what I meant. <laughs> no, I think, I mean, that's why it would be great if there was the next platform to go to rather than suddenly trying to compete in this professional market. Yeah. yeah. There's I, just no middle ground, really. Yeah. And as, yeah. you know, that... Uh, these questions about the course aren't targeted at Falmouth per se. It's more just about understanding uh, what it's like to go from a, a course of from any provider yeah. and step out into the real world. I just want to make that clear that you know I'm not I'm not yeah, targeting. Yeah. No, targeting I don't a think there's course. enough help yeah. at all. Yeah. There's there needs to be far more graduate schemes involved with our newspapers as well. I yeah. think our journalism industry is pretty shocking with how. I mean, like in America, because I did a work placement at the LA Times last year. Yep. They're just really accepting of new upcoming photographers. Yeah. Um, but... And they do a lot of work programs with young photojournalists. And they also employ a lot of photojournalists, like 30, 30 photographers for the major newspapers wow. each. So that's quite a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. Like yeah America our, is good for that. Newspapers actually employed photographers as full-time staff photographers because then we'd feel like we had some jobs to kind of aim yeah. for yeah. and a place to try and strive to be whereas at the moment there's not really any sort of jobs out there for staff photographers really no yeah yeah there's yeah. too much there's too much freelancing going on in my opinion hmm. there's not enough stability for photographers one one question i've got actually is uh are there any photographers that you know, documentary photographers that are documenting uh, issues local to them that you would like to recommend that you've stumbled across recently? Anybody. Yeah. I mean, obviously everyone's all about Jim Morton at the moment. <laughs> His stuff is really great. Yeah, yeah, it is um, indeed, yeah. Yeah, there's a few off my course that I can recommend um, from Falmouth Press and Editorial third year. There's okay. uh, a Norwegian friend of mine called Cyril Monterio who is she's documenting um, refugees in Norway okay oh, wow. specifically in her hometown which is Trondheim oh yeah um, and that piece of work can be seen on arvorimages.com in our stories section okay um, so I think that work is really great and has potential another one is in the UK a friend of mine Ben Rutherford, he is originally from Zimbabwe, um, but he was kicked out of, well, his family kicked out of the country because of the government over there, yep. and he's doing a project called, I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong now, Diaspora Diaries. Okay, yeah. Right? Diaspora Diaries. Yep. Yep. Um, and that's about Zimbabwean refugees in the UK. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So... That work is really great as well. Yep. Cool. Um, 
So those are the two of my course that I'd probably recommend. Yeah. Okay. Right? And then there's also a Romanian friend of mine. But if you're talking about local stories, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if it counts because she's from Romania, but she did a story in Cornwall about the China Clay area around right. St. Austell. Yeah. Right. Um, but obviously, I mean, because she's been living here, technically is local. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah her home at the moment yeah, yeah exactly so yeah, yeah check that one out as well that's yeah. documentary landscapes and, and the china clay area st austell yeah. okay well i'll, I'll be sure to put uh... in terms of photographers otherwise my mind has gone slightly blank but i'm always being inspired by oh i've got another one actually a guy that i met when i was judging a competition for ideas tap called owen harvey who He's based in London. He's been doing a project on mods in the UK, mm-hmm. which is called Mod UK. Okay. Which is, that's a really great project too. Right. <laughs> so okay. that's a couple sort of young emerging photographers yeah. that I can recommend. Great. Each great. of who have websites as well, I think. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll get those off you and I'll, I'll put them in the show notes. Yeah. Um, where they, yep, for, for the listeners. I'm sure there's many others that I could probably recommend but it's a good start but my mind's gone slightly <laughs> blank no worries well thank you very much yeah. for your time um, no worries. it's been great talking yeah, yeah thank likewise. you yeah. Really there's enough decent material there to use i'm sure you'll have to do a bit of editing no it'll all be fine it's all good it's yeah. all good content it, and yeah it's have been a really good, good rest of your afternoon and we'll thank keep you very in touch. much yeah definitely we'll nice to speak with you yep good luck bye. and take care take care bye bye bye, bye. Thank you for listening to the Documentary Photography Review Podcast. You can find Lucy's work at lucypiperphotography.com and links to Lucy's site and other artists, exhibitions and organisations mentioned in the podcast are listed in the show notes. Available on the Documentary Photography Review website, documentaryphotoreview.com. We release episodes of the podcast on the 1st and the 15th of every month and have some great photographers lined up, so to ensure you don't miss out, please don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. If you don't use iTunes, you can always download each episode via the Documentary Photography Review website, and we will continue to try and make the podcast available via as many platforms as possible. If you know of any photographers who are documenting stories local to them anywhere in the world, then please do drop me a line at chris at documentaryphotoreview.com, and we'll endeavour to get them on the show in the future. If you're a documentary photographer yourself and would like to have your work showcased on the site, then again get in touch via email. Work on the site does not have to be about a story local to where you live or originate from. It can be on anything, so long as it's of a documentary nature. Lastly, please do spread the word and share the podcast with others who might be interested, and do consider leaving a comment and review via iTunes. Take care, and thanks again for listening.